0: Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken here back on Amazing Business Radio. And we are back with another episode and a great guest today. We have Viv, Viv Haas. This is a tongue twister, Vibhas Ratanji. Now, you can tell Vibhas and I are very close friends. I was so comfortable saying that name. But he has actually got a great job. He works with Gallup. He's a senior practice expert. And as you know, Gallup Gallup measures everything. And we're going to be talking about all the findings, the stats and facts, as it relates to customer service and experience. Before we do that, a couple of quick announcements. If you've got an amazing story you want to share or a question that you have, Show up on my social channels. We are everywhere. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. If you're there, I'm there. If it's a question, use the hashtag AskShep. I'll answer the questions there. I'll answer it here on this show, or I'll answer on my TV show, which is Be Amazing or Go Home, which can be found on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Roku, C-Suite, and we've actually put many of the episodes now on the YouTube channel, BeAmazing.tv. So go there. You're not going to want to miss it. And now let's talk to Vibhas Ratanje, Senior Practice Expert at Gallup. How are you, Vibhas?
1: I'm doing really well, Chef. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's great great
0: that you're here. I was so intrigued when uh, we we got the pitch that somebody from Gallup wants to be on the show because there's so many questions I can ask you. First, a little quick background. What do you do as a Senior Practice Expert? What exactly is that?
1: So senior practice expert is the, the most senior level of consulting that we have. And we usually specialize in a couple of practices. So I specialize in customer centricity, but I also mm-hmm. dabble in the area of leadership development. And you can see how the two of them kind of align really well. Mm-hmm. You really think about leaders and their core job is to engage customers. So these are two things I specialize in and work quite extensively with our clients. on. All
0: right. So I'm going to ask you, um, people ask me all the time, what's the definition of customer centricity? So what's your definition?
1: I I would say, and we've done a lot of work around this. I would say a customer centric culture is one. Everyone is engaged in creating engagement for a customer. And when I say engagement, it's emotional engagement and not just, satisfaction, or loyalty, something we've been researching at Gallup for a fairly long time. And as you rightly said in the beginning, uh, we ask a lot of great questions. So we ask very specific questions to understand not just satisfaction or loyalty, but the degree to which customers are emotionally attached with the brand.
0: So I wanna get, uh, before we move on to, and I wanna talk about satisfaction, and what drives repeat business, but I want to, I wanna hang on to centricity and culture and leadership for a moment. Um, how, in your best opinion, do you get everybody on the boat, everybody going the same direction, everybody working together? Because isn't that part of what centricity is all about? Is it everybody in the organization understands what the goals and the mission and the vision as far as experiences?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there are three key components here. One is leadership. The second is culture. And the third is talent. So let me kind of talk about this a little bit. Uh, When you think about, cultivating customer-centric leaders or customer-centric leadership. That's really important. I saw recent research, this is the Harvard Business Review. uh, They said that CEOs spend less than 3% of the time with customers. Now that's shocking. When you think about who pays the bills at the end of the day, you need leaders to be immersed in a customer experience early in their careers. What tends to happen is leaders tend to move further away from the customer, the higher they go on on the organizational hierarchy. Some
0: organizations- so how do we get them back into the trenches with the customer? Do we tell them, you know, once a quarter, once a month, you've got to go spend time either with a customer in the support center? What, what, what do you do? Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. I think that a customer experience is an important leadership experience. Uh, when you think about a key experience, when you're actively involving customers in solving customer problems, actually going on site, with a particular client to solve their problems rather than sitting in the boardroom. Because a lot of companies have uh, these, I don't know whether Shep, you're probably familiar with this, customer rooms. There's these specific rooms in the headquarters that's the customer room and in everything about the customer, data, insights, and so on. I wonder how far that customer room is from the boardroom. (laughs) So it's in the sense, are they really fully immersed in the world of the customer? And you need them to. Some companies do a really good job of that. Um, McDonald's, for example, just as an example. You cut your teeth flipping burgers right in the beginning, and then you move up the ranks once you've really mastered the world of customers. And then culture, of course, leaders being responsible. Eventually, do you have your best customer-centric people in front of your customers? So it takes a certain amount of talent to be really good at driving customer engagement.
0: Mm -hmm. And would you agree that it's everybody's job or is it? I mean, I know this, I know the answer. Everybody knows the answer. It's (laughs) more than the front line. But how do you convince somebody in the warehouse, somebody in the finance department that never sees the customer, that they're part of this customer centricity culture?
1: Absolutely. And I think the other element here is values. When you think of the organization's values, where customer centricity needs to be a central part to it. So I've worked with organizations. I'll give you an example. A big bank that I work with, they have what they call service values that we built for them. So those are there but those were not very visible to the guy who kind of digs the hole where the ATM goes, right? He needs to know as well, he doesn't interact with the customer. So we kind of created what we call enabling values. How do you enable the frontline to deliver? So to your point, everybody's responsible, but everybody, you need to be able to define the behaviors internally for your internal kind of non-customer facing folks, as well as externally. You need to define those behaviors at excellence so even if you're an HR, you're an IT, you need to know how you directly and indirectly impact customer engagement. That's something that's missing in a lot of organizations.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's talk about customer satisfaction and repeat business. Um, I have a comment here that you've written that you've done extensive research over the past decade, not just during the pandemic, but for the last 10 years, uh, that satisfaction is not a, not enough. And I've always, said the satisfied customer is not a loyal customer. They just think everything's okay. Yeah. And you need to be better than that, don't you?
1: Yeah. Uh, we've done extensive research yet in this area. So more than 18 million interviews with customers to try to understand you know, what drives customer behavior. And when I say customer behavior, it's cause repeat purchase and uh, overall long-term loyalty and value for the organization. It's what we found out. Uh, we did a correlation between satisfaction and outcomes when i say outcomes customer outcomes repurchase and so on and we have a set of three questions that in our research showed that they were more predictive of those customer outcomes than basic satisfaction in fact what we saw that if you're actually an engaged customer or a fully engaged customer emotionally engaged customer that represents about a 23% premium in terms of share of wallet profitability revenue relationship growth than the average customer So an emotionally engaged customer actually gives you a bonus from a from a revenue point of view. But there's the actively disengaged customer who's kind of sometimes known as the terrorist customer. I'm unhappy, I'm gonna make sure you're happy as well. Ah, The terrorist terrorist (laughs) customer. That's actually an 8% discount. So you're spending a hundred bucks, you're getting 23 bucks additional from your fully engaged. Actively disengaged customers are taking eight bucks back from you. There's one more category, the not engaged customer. You're pretty much getting your money back. So you you spend a hundred bucks, you get a hundred bucks back. That's not good for business. So you've got to be driving towards this full engagement uh, that is important. And and then the way we define it, emotional attachment, the three metrics that I talked about, pride, passion, and confidence. And we have specific questions we ask around that. Now think about that. Satisfaction versus pride, passion, and confidence. What do you want to build
0: Right, so, so you referred to three questions. Are they related to those three? Yes, yes. Can you share those questions with us?
1: Sure, I mean, you can read the book as well. We've written a book called Human Sigma. I can talk about this a little bit, but- uh, so Tell me about the book.
0: Sure, and that's an I don't know about the book, so if the, we can find the book, tell us about the book, and perfect. then tell us what the questions Let are- Let me do that. Let even me though me. you want us to read the book,
1: <laughs> yeah. and we will. Let me do that. So we've, we've written a couple of books in Gallup. Again, we do a lot of research in this area. But it was an interesting um, experiment we had with an organization a while ago. Here's what we did. So we also measure employee engagement. If you're familiar with Gallup, we have 12 questions that are predictive of uh, emotional engagement, emotional outcomes. We're working with this company where at the store level, we said, okay, let's look at the top 10 best customer-centric branches. And we got a list. Then we said, okay, let's look at the top 10 branches where employees are really engaged. And then we looked at those two lists and said, why don't we put them together? I What's
0: bet what? there's a lot of similarity.
1: What's going on? We know there's a correlation. You know, the CS value profit chain, you know, your satisfied employee, satisfied customer. We were shocked at the level of correlation there was. So if you are lower on employee engagement, you are lower on customer engagement. So we started kind of looking at that and said, so let's just plot it on a map. You know, let's look at those who are doing both employee and customer engagement exceptionally well. We call them optimized. And so, okay, now let's look at the revenue quotient there. Are they really doing good at business? And in many cases, they actually outperformed the non-optimized by about 200% in terms of actual 200%. revenues. hundred percent Yeah. Wow. That's the that's the key. And we call it human sigma. When I mean, you're familiar with six sigma, which is really reduction in, uh, in errors, this is reduction in active disengagement of your employees and customers and we've, we've, this is kind of an operating mechanism we put with our, some of our clients. I have one client who moved, they were at about a thousand branches, bank branches. Uh, when they started about 400 branches and we kept on measuring this and improving it, they went from about 30% optimized to 90% optimized. Went from number five uh, to number two. So you see, I mean, emotional engagement of employees and customers pays off in terms of tremendous financial value in the long term.
0: All right, so what's the name of the book?
1: It's called Human Sigma.
0: Human Sigma, and you can buy this book. I mean, you have me firing on all cylinders right now. I'm not kidding you. We're going to take a break in a moment, and during the break, I'm going to Amazon to buy the book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You mentioned there was a second book as well.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of books we've written. I mean, First Break All the Rules is a a classic.
0: I have Break All the Rules, yes. Break All the Rules is
1: about one part of the two elements I talked about, which is employee engagement. Human Sigma brings it together. We wrote a book called Marit to the Brand. Because when you think about married to the brand, it's actually that level of engagement we're talking about. Not just dating ship, because you date with a lot of brands, but you're married to only one. So it, that's another book I'd highly recommend. Uh, and it kind of brings all of our science together.
0: Wow. Um, and so just again, uh, Human Sigma married to the brand those are the two most and of course i have break all the rules Mm -hmm. let's take a short break while we're on that break it's not quite long enough for most people to go to amazon and buy those books but we're going to come back and continue our conversation with vibhas ratanje the senior practice expert at gallup lots of amazing information here don't go away we're coming right back Cult is not a scary word. My book, The Cult of the Customer, proves it. It helps you design a strategy to lead customers and employees through five cultural phases, or cults. And good news, I've revised and updated the book. The new edition, The Cult of the Customer, is available for purchase now. It features case studies, tips, and tactics to guide you on the journey from uncertainty to amazement and build a customer-focused culture, a cult of the customer. So... What are you waiting for? Go to www.cultofthecustomer.com. Go there today and order. Join the cult that turns satisfied customers into customer evangelists. The cult of the customer. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We are back again on Amazing Business Radio talking with Vibhas Ratanje. I'm sorry, Vibhas Ratanje. And the books, uh, Human Sigma and Married to the Brand. And of course, if you want to go back to the classic, break all the rules, go ahead and get that as well. And uh, I know I was fascinated by that book. And I'm sure uh, you're, you're just just in the short 10, 12 minutes together, you are opening my brain up to an area that I'm not sure I studied deep enough. Uh, but I seem to talk about it a lot. I just want to get an even deeper understanding and uh, this is so good. This is why I love talking to smart people. All right, so let's talk about service values. And um, let's start with just the concept, the term service value. What does it mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're familiar with core values. Every organization has core values, you know, whether it's uh, integrity and honesty and ethics and whatever that is, you know, somewhere you need to translate that to the last mile. And when I say last mile, it's your frontline people and the customer, Typically, what tends to happen is organizations are put in place SOPs, or standard operating procedures, right? Those are standards, and there's a difference between those standards, because sometimes those standards don't necessarily excite and inspire you. I'll give you an example. I was working with a hotel company and reviewing their front office lobby guidelines, and I literally saw a conformance standard, an SOP, on how to smile, the only thing they didn't do was measure the smile. you know, how many centimeters. So in the world of service, we've got so used to measuring and benchmarking and putting standards on something. You're stifling employee initiative. So the whole idea of service values is to provide guide rails, provide aspiration, and then really rely on the talent of the individual to drive a customer outcome. So one of the clients we worked with uh, for, for quite a few years is the Ritz-Carlton hotels. And if you look at those 12 service values and the credo card around that, that's what we're talking about. These are inspirational values and they're very specific to how you can deliver delight. That's the thing. You're not just measuring average and conformance to a standard. How can you delight a customer?
0: Right. So give me an example of some service values.
1: Let me give you one uh, an organization I worked with um, uh, this is an automotive company, i uh, worked with them a really long time and they were measuring customer satisfaction. You know, you, you measure customer satisfaction and you measure these attributes, like how good is the service, uh, how good is the interaction. So one of the, the things we were measuring was uh, the first impression, the meeting and greeting, right? And the score was very low. So they were like, what do we do with this? Let's, let's Should we put a standard operating procedure? Everybody walks into the door, greet them a certain way We say, no, no, that's not the way to do it. Let's actually make it a little bit more inspirational. Let's make it a little bit more fun. So instead of communicating to the dealerships, like, here you go, meeting and greeting, we say, no, no, we're going to call it the world's warmest welcome. That's a service value. The triple W. triple W. We're going to give our employees the world's warmest welcome. Now, that excites you. An average box top percent five or a mean score doesn't excite people in the front lines. This inspires you. And then it was amazing because people started embracing that. People started driving it. People started videoing themselves, giving the world's warmest welcome and sharing examples of what a world's warmest welcome looks like. These are service values more than just standards and SOPs.
0: So I love that. And and when you create, I still think you need the standards and the SOPs as a baseline to get things started. But when you can inspire beyond, the, beyond that, so the Ritz Carlton, by the way, their whole concept of delight isn't totally over the top, blow me away. Uh, I had a great opportunity on this show. We've had Horst Schultz, the first president and co-founder, on our show twice, and he said, "If you are just ten percent above average, consistently and predictably, you're going to nail it." Yeah, because you know that's really what it's about—ten percent above average. And uh, so he he talked about 24 gold standards. Is That's different than the service values. Yeah, the
1: service values are about 12 service values, I I think, I believe now. Mm -hmm. Right. What they did was this credo card uh, that they wrote them down. And if you ask anybody from Ritz Carlton, they'll take that credo card out and say, well, this is what service is all about. It's kind of like Walt Disney. Walt Disney has the four keys to a great guest experience. They have Mm -hmm. things like safety and courtesy. There's something called show. That means stay in character. <laughs> because if you're Princess Jasmine, you stay in character all the time, even when you're back, walking back to your to your locker room. I love that particular element. Walt Disney actually has very strict SOPs. For example, one of the SOPs is irrespective of who you are. You might be the general manager or the leader or the employee. When you see trash, you see litter, you pick it up. It's your responsibility, yep. the standard operating procedure. I think you need to uh- it both to your point, Shep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Everybody at Disney has three jobs. I've been to the Disney Institute and gone through their courses. I can't tell you how many times, but the three jobs are to do the job you are hired to do, to uh, uh, take care of the guest. And number three, keep the park clean. In other words, pick up the trash. Exactly. Yeah. And, And it is not beneath anybody. Walt Disney would walk into the park when he was alive and he would stoop down, pick up the trash. I believe if it wasn't him, it was Michael Eisner that referred to that as stooping to excellence. Oh,
1: wow, I that.
0: Uh, yeah, and uh, that if you're willing to stoop down to pick up the trash and throw it away, you're setting a an example for everyone else, hence leadership, role model. We talked about that earlier. Yeah. Yep, it, it all, okay. So we, we've talked about service values and I know very closely tied to that is talent. So let's, I know this is a big one. You already said that uh, Walt Disney they're painstaking at, at, uh, in a sense of hiring the right people for the right job, that the person who might take a ticket is not the same person who helps you on the ride, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's important to define the difference between talent skills and knowledge. And they' the three different things a skill is something that's transferable. You can, I can, I can transfer the skill to you. knowledge is something you can learn. You know, you can have a service manual and you can read about it. That talent element is is innate to an individual. Some people make exceptional relationships. They're fantastic at creating an emotional connection with guests, for example. So you're looking for that talent before you hire. Because if you don't have the right talent for guest excellence, for example, no matter what kind of training you put them in, skills, what kind of service manuals and SOPs you throw at them, they're not going to work at excellence. So our work with a lot of clients is actually focused on finding the right fit, right talent for that particular role. That's the. And key. how do you do that? Well, we've actually studied talent for a fairly long time in different roles. You know, talent for leadership is very different than, let's say, talent for a branch manager or talent for a customer-facing individual. Uh, and there is a way in which you can actually assess talent. We've invested a lot of our work into creating these assessments that actually give you a really good idea and a benchmark of what that talent looks like. And we use it for banks, for, uh, for, for entertainment, for retail and so on. So it's, that's the first step that you need to do is, is look for talent.
0: Yeah, I believe. Uh, so, I mean, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, I think we've got to uh, set and we've got to create these service values. Uh, we've got to then make sure that the people we hire and I know we already have people. So uh, here, I'll throw a zinger at you. Uh, I think it's easy once we've established the values to go out and find people that will meet the values and the talent. But what about the people we already have? Yeah. Any yeah. suggestions for those that aren't quite ready to get on the bus? Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a really important one. But I'll add one more uh, extremely important factor to this mix here, which is the manager. Uh, And that's critical. So we know from our research that 70% of the variance in employee engagement is the manager. So the manager can create a fantastic role, huge role. So if you're driving as a manager employee engagement, you're also driving customer engagement because we know that they're highly correlated. Getting the manager right, getting that talent right is, is critical. And that's where sometimes the challenge is because real talent for managing, that raw talent, that's rare that not everybody can be a great manager. So you start- And there's that. a difference between a manager and a leader. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of debate about what it is and what the differences are. I'm of the view, by the way, that at some level, you need to democratize leadership development because managers also need leadership capabilities today, especially in this completely uh, unpredictable environment. You, know, you want your managers to lead as well. Leaders have very different responsibilities and demands that are placed on them. But the key point is that getting the manager right. That's the key. All our research, we did employee engagement, customer engagement, finding the right manager, finding the talented talent associate. The biggest lift you get in revenue when you get the right manager. We wrote another book, here's another book for you, uh, which is a fantastic book. It just came out. It's called It's the Manager. As simple as that It's the Manager. That is it. What we're saying, get the choice of the manager right. I'm not saying everything else will take care of it, but you've actually gone halfway to success when you got your managers yeah. right
0: wow so it's the manager human sigma married to the brand break all the rules
1: sounds like i'm <laughs> selling books as chef that's not the idea no though. no
0: no the, so i'm i'm a uh, and so this it's the manager
1: when did human sigma come out it's it was a while ago um i don't know exactly but it was been about six or seven years ago
0: okay well i'm gonna it's the managers this year
1: oh, that's a good book that's a yeah that's this year uh, last year
0: uh, so OK, cool. I'm, I'm all over it. And uh, so we're we're down to the last question. And I warned you this was going to come. Everybody knows it. It's the one thing you want to leave us with. What would that be?
1: Yeah. So I think uh, a lot of the effort around driving customer centricity boils down to measurement. And, and that's where sometimes the issue is, I mean, I'm, I'm really uh, uh, you know fond of this quote. You don't fatten the cow by weighing it every day. So, this this um, Uber. You don't fatten
0: the cow, cow by, weighing, the it cow every by day. weighing
1: it every day. Because organizations are spending so much time on uh, scores and the NPS scores and this score and that score. That's what uh, measurement is important. It's what you do with that, it's how you translate that to the front lines, how you use that to inspire and engage your most important assets, which are your employees in driving impact for customers. So, if you're only focusing on measurement, That's a big issue. You've got to really look at your customer centricity challenge and then leaders leading from the front. These are the two things I'd leave everyone with.
0: All right. All right. So I'm going to break my rule and ask another question. Um, What's the most important, of the most of these metrics, of these measurements, if you could only do one, what would it be?
1: I would certainly try to understand the emotional engagement of my customers because I know if I get that right, there's a high high predictability that all the other revenue metrics
0: will get right.
1: It's
0: yeah. really not a so, uh, question. Yeah, I'll go. Um, I, gosh, we could talk another 20 minutes, but I'm just going to keep this conversation for another minute. I believe that all these metrics are important to measure customer happiness. Are, mm-hmm. are you willing to recommend us If they are, you know they're happy. CSAT scores, uh, customer effort scores. I like to look at the behavior. Mm-hmm. Does the customer come back?
1: Perfect.
0: Uh, I think that's a real important measurement. Uh, I don't know if you feel the same way or not. But even if they do come back, I want to find out why they're coming back. Right. Because coming back could be it's more convenient because the other place is too far away. But irritate me enough, I'm going to go there anyway, you know. So agree. I couldn't agree more, shit. All oh, great. Well, coming from you, that means a lot. <laughs> so thank you. All right, everybody, that wraps it up. Another episode of Amazing Business Radio. We've been talking with Viv Haas senior practice expert at Gallup. The book to get today is It's the Manager, followed by Human Sigma, Break All the Rules, Married to the Brand. And if you want to have another fun time with us next week, we're going to have another amazing interview. So tune in, And until that time, this is Shep Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.